This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Greetings, Bill Mobley for the Sanford Institute for Empathy and Compassion. And together with my co-host, Nyla Chowdhury, who is Director of Social uh, Impact and Innovation at UCSD Extension, we're really very pleased to have three guests with us on this segment. Like our other guests, these people have dedicated their lives to serving others to do so in difficult situations like the one we're facing right now with the pandemic. And through their work and through their actions and through the support they give to others, they're really bringing hope where there is very little hope. And so we're very thankful that they're with us today. And Nyla, I wonder if you'll go ahead and introduce our guests one by one. Thank you, Dr. Mowgli. Uh, today's guests are all together for a calling and purpose in life which brought them together, love for humanity. And they're all frontline workers. And I would like to introduce Andrew Foley, who's actually a cybersecurity expert, but he's been in Moria Camp from 2015 onwards. And he co-founded Better Days over there and currently working on several fronts to try to prepare the camp and the island for inevitable outbreak of the pandemic there. Then Annie Chapman, who's a doctor by profession, she works in London Hospital and she worked in Moria Camp. That is the link between three of them over there. She was actually able to leverage her connection to help get the public eye turned towards the Moria Camp. And I have read her chilling article, A Doctor's Story Inside the Living Hell of Moria Refugee Camp. Then uh, it's Gabriel Feldman, who has been a great friend to bring everybody together. He's an architect by profession who shifted to aid work from 2016, and he volunteered for Better Days. And from there on, he's worked with Annie in Moria Camp in the medical clinic. And here they are together with us today, and we are honored and humbled to have all of you here. Let's hear from all of you your life's journey. So we'll start off with Andrew, then Annie, and then Gabriel. Welcome. Yeah, hi, thank you very much um, for having me on the show. Um, yeah, my story began in Lesbos in, in, uh, in 2016, February 2016. Before that, I worked in data security for many years. Um, I worked in Dublin, I worked in Los Angeles, I worked in Australia. Um, and I had come home actually from the US and uh, had seen what was happening on the news, something I was, I was, I was not aware of. Um, and this was the, the refugee crisis in, um, in Greece with millions of people arriving or on Lesbos, we had 800,000 people arrive. And I decided that I'd go and volunteer for three weeks. I booked a plane ticket and then a ferry ticket from Athens to Lesbos. And um, I came in, in February and I started volunteering, um, in Moria camp. Um, and from there, um, you know, it's it's grown to what it is today. I've been here for four years now. Um, I found it better days. Um, we're an actor that provides services for unaccompanied children. We began as an emergency responder in, in 2016, uh, 2015, 2016. Um, and then as the kind of crisis here matured, we moved into service provision and focusing on unaccompanied children. So we have a school here um, where we educate 200 children a day. We also provide legal services for those children, focusing on family reunification and um, for unaccompanied children who are here in Greece. 
And um, we also provide protection services um, for unaccompanied children. And um, they're obviously incredibly vulnerable. They have, you know, experienced incredibly traumatic um, scenes and, and, and they've been witnesses to some of, um, you know, to terrible wars. So there's a lot of trauma that they have to contend with. We provide those services and then try and get them reunified with their family. And um, or if that's not an option, provide, you know, really high quality education and a safe space for them to um, for them to come into every day. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the children who we work with do live in the camps and um, the majority of, of whom live in the camps there. There are other unaccompanied children who live in in alternate accommodation sites. So um, in different apartments. But at the moment, we have over 900 unaccompanied children in this camp, many of whom are homeless and um, living in, in the olive groves around the camp. Um, and they have very little access um, to any services um, or even anyone to listen to, you know, their story or understand what their what their needs are. So um, my organization, we have, you know, an incredible group of uh, team of people um, before the virus um, came and a lot of our services were reduced. We had we had 30 people um, working every day to provide these services and um, both in the camp and then for our school outside the camp. So that's what we focus on. Thank you. We'll move on to Annie. Hi, yes, thank you. Um, thank you very much for having me. And thank you to Gabriel for bringing us together. Um, so I'm an emergency doctor um, from England, trained in the north in Manchester and then work in London now. And um, I've done emergency medicine, so I'm doing emergency medicine as a specialty. And um, been interested for a long time in emergency and also expedition medicine um, and then in 2016 I had a friend who was working for a search and rescue organization who asked me to go over as a medic um, to Lesbos as the crisis as, sounds like probably similar time to when Andrew first went as the crisis was kind of starting to hot up and beginning to unfold and just went for a couple of weeks was really struck by um, what was happening there and then had some time at the end of last year and beginning of this year. So I went back to work with Boat Refugee Foundation, um, who are a Dutch medical organization um, in the camp. And they run uh, the emergency, or did kind of pre-pandemic, run the emergency clinic and services in Moria. Um, so my role there was as an emergency doctor. Um, we were dealing with lots of, initially when I went more kind of primary care problems, um, looking at uh, you know kind of relative to global health problems and also then looking at the social problems within the camp from a health perspective um which had challenges in itself because we're quite you know a group of volunteers and transient but very very interesting uh, to work with people from all around the world and the situation had changed when i came back in january of this year um as the conditions in the camp had worsened the hopelessness had worsened in my opinion um the kind of the progression of people living in the camp was slower and the situation was more desperate and we kind of ramped up saw a lot more violence um and uh, outbreaks of things like meningitis so i think actually working as an emergency doctor and having emergency experience uh, was really useful for that um and i you know it was a real kind of life-changing life-changing experience I think both the work itself meeting the people in the camp but also meeting the other volunteers uh, so I feel very very lucky to be involved in it and 
I've definitely left a big part of my heart in Lesbos um, and can see the colour staying there, as Andrew has. So, yes, I'm very grateful for you to uh, for giving me the platform to speak today. Thank you. Um, Gabriel, again, also thanks so much for having us on this um, it's a really, really intriguing uh, concept, this whole show. Um, so my background, as mentioned, was um, I'm an architect. Uh, I worked in uh, New York for about, it's been almost eight years now, um, mostly just sort of your standard corporate interior stuff. Um, in 2016, I started um, taking uh, my vacation and going on sort of volunteer trips. I went to uh, Zambia. Uh, in 2016 and then in 2017 I actually went um, and volunteered with uh, with Andrew's organization Better Days uh, for I think it was two weeks maybe three weeks um, <clears throat> I had uh, I had a general sense of, of sort of what was happening in as far as the refugee crisis but uh, it was very detached um, unfortunately in the states there isn't there isn't too much media um, on on it there definitely wasn't then there was a little bit of a spike but it, it's sort of plateaued as now as well but um so when i was there it i think like for all for all three of us it it hits uh pretty hard um when you start to see the disparity um i actually that in 2017 i we weren't i don't think at that point we were allowed in the camp or at least i hadn't uh been inside uh moria but you still you know, interacting with people outside, you, you get, you can't help but, but just feel the, um, the desperation, um, and the frustration. Um, so that motivated me, um, sort of from then to start to change the trajectory of, of my quote unquote career, uh, to try and move towards doing more for vulnerable populations, just because, it became evident that there's a lot to do. Um, so I may as well get started as soon as possible. Um, and working with people like Andrew was kind of, uh, very, very inspiring. Um, when I was there in 2017, I was actually there with my father. Um, and we were, Andrew, I don't know if you remember this, but we were following you to, I don't know, we were going to pick up supplies or something or grab tents and you were on your, your little, your, well, not so little, your, your motorcycle. And we were following with the little rent-a-car. And, um, I remember looking at my dad and saying, and like pointing to, to you ahead of us. And I was like, I can do that. I can, I can be essentially, you know, my talents are, are far different and, and the skills are, I would say a little bit more limited, but, um, I can, I can do that. I, I have been given a great amount of privilege. Um, and I can, leverage that I can use that to, to do something like what Andrew's doing. Um, so I've kind of from then have, it's taken a little bit of time to get to a point where I can actually start, but, um, but going in, in, in this most recent time was, uh, was the sort of trial run for it. And, um, it was like Annie said, it was far more overwhelming just because for me, it was the first, um, I was there for three months and, uh, we were inside the camp uh, so it was incredibly overwhelming, um, at first, and then it sort of gets normalized, which is a little bit weird. And then, and then after it becomes normal, it becomes, 
a little bit easier to start to look at things from a from a large macro scale and and try and understand where you can fit in to actually make a difference. Um, similar to how to how Andrew um, and his organization have just they've they filled a, a niche that is it's such a vulnerable population. The unaccompanied children is it, it's like the if other than perhaps maybe elder the elderly, which sort of are getting a focus now because of COVID, it's it's possibly the most vulnerable group I have ever interacted with in my life. So it's a very you guys have had such an interesting set of experiences. So if I'm gonna if I summarize the themes that I've heard, it's three people who come from a very privileged background, who've been well educated, had strong family lives who've done things, who've accomplished something in their careers, who volunteered to deal with despair, to deal with inequality, to deal with suffering. In the process, each of them have kind of evolved their roles. Yes, they've built upon what they learned in school and through professions, but they've evolved their roles. They've changed those roles over time. And then here's this new status quo, Andrew was just speaking about it. Here's a new status quo. Okay, we're here. We're dealing with this. We can sort of see problems and for what they are. Maybe we can make a difference. And then suddenly, and maybe not so suddenly, there's a new problem. So the old status quo is bad enough. Now there's a new status quo that's worse. So maybe let me go back. Let's figure out. Let's talk with each other now about, again, starting with Gabe. Let's let's start with where you see this going for yourself and for those you serve? And what gaps do you see? How can the world make this better in front of your own eyes? Gabriel, what do you think? It's a, it's a big, big task. Um, I think for the, the thing that I've noticed, at least for my sort of group, um, or sort of, you know, the, my people, let's say, um, the, the biggest thing or the biggest gap that I have found is just general knowledge. Um, I think for the most part, people do care. Um, I think fear fear limits that sometimes and it, and it makes it you sort of focus in a little bit more. But I think in general, when when people are not fearful for their own safety, they do look outward and, and want to help Um so I think the biggest, the biggest thing is just knowledge, just getting, so things like this are, are some of the most powerful ways to, to try and spread care. If, if that's, if that makes any sense, just because a good example is, so he, I'm tangenting a little bit here, but sort of in, during this whole COVID thing, I was volunteering before everything before this with like, you know, meal drop offs and soup kitchens and stuff randomly sort of when I could, the slots are filled. So I'm, I signed up recently just to find a few, but it was difficult to find open slots. And, and this is, especially here in New York, it's sort of an epicenter. So people are sort of even more nervous about things, but people do want to help. Um, and I think a majority of that comes from because this is such a, a a global crisis where people really know, obviously everyone knows about it and what's happening. There's a, a sort of communal sense um, 
that for me just shows when people know that there's a problem and that there's a vulnerable group and that there's something that needs to be helped, they will. And they, they really want to. So I think the biggest thing for me, at least has, has been trying to get the word out as much as possible. Great. Annie, how about you? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I agree with Gabriel. And I think um, probably both of us certainly, and it's Andrew as well, lots of people we were working with there quite when we came home thought, how can we put the word out? And uh, and never more so in, than, you know, kind of in the pandemic at the moment when lots of the news is saturated with, or with everything to do with it. Um, my other, the other point that I think, um, and this is definitely from being, on Lesbos in, in in the camp itself is people I agree I think a barrier I agree with Gabe I think a barrier often is a lack of information and therefore kind of worry about it and you know worry about yourself a little bit of guilt um, a little bit of kind of low confidence what could I offer what could I do and I think um, as one person I think there's not anything one person can do apart from maybe Andrew, but <laughs> that's what I think one person can do. I think the wonderful thing about, and, and actually and the privilege of being there and being on the island and being in the camp is that you're not alone trying to do something. You're there with many people, many groups trying to do something. And I've seen that, you know, kind of keeping in contact with people who are still there with lots of different groups. You can, you're exactly right. And um, what you said about, you know, you come to terms with and you kind of plateau one level of awful or challenge um, and work through that. And then something else piles on top of it, like a pandemic. And that can seem overwhelming. And then you do see who you're surrounded by, who you can reach out to. Um, so I know, for example, the medical actors there have joined together. Uh, they've made a medical clinic in the camp, you know, where volunteers are now limited because of quarantine rules and travel restrictions. The camp is now, the medical kind of side of the camp is now running on four organisations who've joined together. Um, same with food distributions, as far as I understand, different people are taking different areas of that on. And so I think, um, yeah, so I think a, a barrier in a whole, I agree, is, is with Gabe, I think is information and also an overwhelming feeling of kind of weight of responsibility. But I think as soon as you can share that by realising there's like-minded people and people willing to go and act, and encouraging people to go and do it, then I think that begins to alleviate some of the pressure and can begin, you know, you can begin to make solutions. Um, yeah. Andrew, Andrew, what about you? I'm, I'm thinking now of this image that you put in my head about uh, little children living in a homeless state. And and I, if I got it right, they're, they're inhabiting olive groves near the near Moriah camp. I mean, this has got to be both heartbreaking and challenging for you. So what do people need to know? I mean, what gaps exist that would really make life different at Mariah Camp? Um, I think I also, it's a challenging question because I, I think, unfortunately, we found ourselves in a situation in Moria where, you know, there is not there. So Moria Camp has a sheltering capacity of about 4,000 people. Now, this is this has increased over the years. I think originally the camp was built for 800 people, but they've increased the amount of shelter. However, the underlying infrastructure um, could not host 4,000 people. So we have we have some really fundamental issues in Moria. And currently there's 20,000 people there. Um, and because of this, 
the olive groves surrounding the camp um, have have turned into almost slums or shanty towns. And and we're in an unfortunate situation that solutions cannot be found in Moria. Um, there there is suffering can be alleviated for for individuals there. There is some damage limitation that we can do. But in terms of in terms of systematic change within the camp, you know, we need we need kind of the powers that be to improve our migration policy. Um, and I think we also we also need, you know, governments and leaders to stop kind of uh, spreading information or, or making us fearful um, of, of those who are, who are in incredible need. I mean, primarily what we try to do is we're trying to fulfill some of the obligations that that you know, we signed up to in, in, in the 50s and 60s in terms of the, the conventions uh, and um, the agreements that we put in place. And they're not, they're not, being, they're not being upheld. And um, I think going back to what, what, what Gabe and Annie were saying, a, a huge concern or, or you know, when I go home, I leave Greece occasionally, I go back to Ireland or I, I've you know, been to the States and I, I've had to visit my brother down in Australia. And there's a huge lack of, of first of all, engagement um, or willingness to engage in, in some of these, these difficult questions around you know, the most vulnerable in our societies. Um, and that's a huge shame. Um, and not only is it a shame because there are people who are in incredible need um, and there are many of us who have incredible privilege and we can use that to both our advantage and their advantage in terms of offering support. It's also a huge shame for the individuals who don't engage. It's, I mean, you know, I, I, I came four years ago for three weeks. I came to volunteer and I stayed because of how fulfilling the work I did was and um, how you know, how the incredible people I've met, the incredible stories I've, uh, I've heard, the people I've had the opportunity to work with. I mean, some of the most inspirational people I've, I've ever met in my life, I've met in this field. Um, and yeah, it's, it's incredibly fulfilling and, uh, and, and I'm, incredibly, I'm incredibly proud of the work I do. Um, and, and that's what drives me to continue is both, you know, looking at the people who, who are in desperate need, but also knowing that I can make a difference and that, you know, this is, this is, this is doing more for my soul than, than data security ever did. So, um, I do think we need to see more engagement for everyone's, for everyone's sake. You know, we've seen some of the, the most in, in our own societies and both in, in the U S and in Ireland and, you know, in Greece, the most vulnerable in our own, I'm not speaking about, about refugees here. I mean, speaking about the most vulnerable in our own societies, our own communities, people who are, you know, uh, low income earners or who have, you know, health conditions, underlying health conditions or who are elderly and on their own, you know, they, they need support. And, and, and we have seen with, with coronavirus, we have seen an engagement and um, that we haven't seen before. And I think a realization that, you know, the health and well-being of my neighbor is, is, is of great importance to me and can have a huge impact on my life um, as well as theirs. So how can I support them? Um, how can I support them to get groceries so they don't have to put themselves at risk? How, um, you know, is there anything they, they may need uh, to get them through the day? Um, and, and I hope that we see a greater sense of unity um, here. Uh, and, and again, and that is the solution to Moria. I think, you know, there, there are 20,000 people in Moria um, and we need to see the camp decongested um, as soon as possible. And that will happen when 
the you know general populace decide that you know they are refugees who have been forced to flee their homes um they're you know very lovely very well educated have a lot to contribute to our societies um and we should not we should not simply just turn our backs and say well they're going to take from the government or you know they're going to cause crime because this is this is and push those narratives because they're false um, and they create a situation in Moria where we have you know hundreds of unaccompanied children homeless um, and we have families um, and and often you know we have, we have single um, mothers with, with 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 several children and no access to toilets or no access to medical care no access to education um, and we leave people in, in these situations in complete destitution for for incredibly long periods of time. I had a question because viewers are texting. So how can they get engaged and in through what platform for the viewers? I, I would like to hear from all of you. You know, obviously it's incredibly difficult at the moment because we have so many restrictions. And unfortunately, the medical and scientific community are, are saying that, you know, this, this, this may be the status quo for quite a long time until we get a vaccine. Um, so I think going back to what we were saying earlier, the most important thing is is beginning to engage um at you know wherever that is if it's in the local soup kitchen if it's supporting um elderly people who live on their own um through you know different programs to deliver them food or there are also programs where you just go and spend an hour in conversation with them um, you know with someone who lives on their own and is 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 um is suffering from from loneliness so I would definitely say look to your local community because you know I I have met a lot of people who have aspired to support in you know in Greece or in I you know I have a lot of colleagues in in Sudan and in the Congo or um uh, in in Bangladesh and Lebanon and you know their own personal means don't allow them to go there they they can't get that time off work or you know it can be quite expensive to travel um so I would say you know do what you can first and foremost there are a lot of incredible organizations and incredible projects uh um in every region around the world um and yeah i i, I would definitely suggest looking on your own doorstep first and beginning to engage there and then from there you'll see, you'll see an evolution you'll 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 understand how important it is for for those you're you're serving but also for your for your own soul and uh, and and then you'll i don't know catch the bug so to speak Although apologies, that may be a very poor. Uh... <laughs> I'd like to. I would like to add as well. Just um, uh, I completely agree, and I think it is kind of a way of thinking about things. I agree with what Andrew's saying: is starting um, in your own home and and kind of getting into your soul that way. Um, but also with what Gabriel was saying about um, allowing yourself to be informed and being inquisitive and. Um, being kind of a I've had a very good quote about being an antidote to apathy so not just letting these things wash over you and, and being kind of consumed by you know fear essentially I think being the, the antidote to that kind of apathetic approach doing what Andrew is saying um being active in your home being active to seek out information being active to voice it to other people and open discussions I think uh, I would say to those people as well before we close out, Andrew, I just couldn't do his own plug. So if um, if you guys are looking for the sort of quickest way to um, to reach out is obviously donations. Um, Better Days is his organization. So if you just look them up, um, 
it's a great way to, to sort of get the ball rolling just because Andrew couldn't plug it himself, but um, it's an, an amazing organization. So definitely go check them out. You know, it's a, it's a striking story. And so if I'm going to go back to what the Institute tries to promote, to identify these gaps that you've talked about, <clears throat> the first gap seems to be knowledge, knowledge that there's need and the empathy to understand that one can resonate with that need. The second is encouragement that you're not alone, that there are other people who can work with you to try to make this difference that compassion motivates. A third, it seems to me, is a kind of general encouragement of that compassionate motivation, including reaching out to whomever for hope, whether it's the local uh, group that provides food or whether it's clean water, or whether it's electricity, whether it's shelter or whether it's a government or whether it's maybe more generally society that does not value the stories that uh, migrants tell, that camp dwellers tell. So these gaps really begin with understanding what's there empathizing with it and having the compassion to try to make a difference. You three have made a difference. There's just no question about it. And what's very interesting is that I bet you never expected this is what you would do with your life. And I bet you also don't know what's going to happen in 10 years because you're going to continue to evolve and hopefully do so as a result of the need that presents itself so that you learn about it that you're empathizing with it, that you're reaching out with compassion to make a difference. And here's the good news. Even if it's only one person, and even if it's only one person in an ER in London that you impacted specifically and personally, you're great. Each of you is a great success. So congratulations on your amazing successes. We hope you continue those successes because we need you. We need you as role models. We need the Andrews to be our role models. It's safe to go ahead and go to a faraway land. And actually, his motto should be, I came, I saw, I was conquered. Because that's what happened when he went to Greece. He came, he saw, and he had to stay. And he's been there ever since. So thank you all, all three of you, for being on the program. We're inspired by what you're doing. And... We hope we'll stay in touch with you and that we'll be able to meet with you again very soon. Thank you so much for all you do. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.